Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Stars Like Us. I'm your host, Aliza Kelly. And as you guys know, whenever I meet someone who also is an eighth house son, I am personally very excited because it is one of the I see it as one of the the defining features of my birth chart. And then also one of the defining features of like me trying to figure out what astrology is all about, because it was something that um, the first time I read, I was so horrified by the description. And then I sort of thought about it over the process of many months. And this is also many years ago and was like, oh, no, that's actually just completely 100 percent all correct. So now how do I reconcile it? So this is a fellow sun in the eighth house. We are opposite suns. Paulette is a sun in Aquarius in the eighth house with a moon in Taurus and a rising in Cancer. You may know her as Bad Mama Jamma. I'm so excited to meet you and to connect with you. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on this podcast. Thank you so much for having me today. It's been it's really nice to be here. Uh, it's nice to socialize for one. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. So thank you. Yes, because in especially in the eighth house, it can get real lonely. What's interesting and what I when you shared your big three with me before we started recording, what I was excited about is that you're a Cancer rising. I'm a Capricorn rising. You're an Aquarius sun. I'm a Leo sun. So our charts are sort of the inversions of one another. Um, but in astrology, opposites are the same. You know, they're it's like ultimately what you're trying to accomplish in an opposition is the same end result. But your process of getting there is from a different perspective. You know, it's like you're going in it from one side of the earth to the other, but you're meeting in the center. And that's what, you know, why I love oppositions and sort of inversion so much is because an opposition is like kind of encouraging the other to like be like, come on, a few more steps this way, just this way, even though sometimes like, I don't know what that looks like. I'm scared of it. So it's cool to talk to you because I feel like your perspective is going to be opposite from mine, but also the same in other ways, too. And whenever we have a Cancer or Capricorn rising, one thing is for sure is that we all have a chip on our shoulder because that is what the <laughs> that is what the essence of that access is. Cancer is like, why do I have to care so much? Capricorn is like, why do I have to work so hard? But then those are also the same, too, because caring and working and caring and working and all kind of go hand in hand. So with all of this, I am so excited to get to know you and learn more about your work and how you became Bad Mama Jamma. So can you tell us about yourself and your history and your background? Yes, yes, I would love to. Um, I have a background in fashion. That's where my art starts off. I worked in fashion for about 13 years. My last job was in the fashion district in Los Angeles. So like right in the heart of where everything is at. Um, and surprisingly, I was working for a minimal fashion company. So you can tell why my art, there's really not that much that's minimal about it. <laughs> so it was an interesting kind of juxtaposition between my own likes working with minimal fashion, which is very um, simple, you know, simplistic. So that was my last experience working in fashion. So you can see in my work how I have integrated that definitely. I love style. I love glamour. <laughs> I love glamour magic. <laughs> I feel aesthetically very akin to you. I feel I'm I definitely Thank would describe you. my aesthetic sensibility as like maximalist. <laughs> mm -hmm. I love leopard print. I love disco balls. 
I love giant plants. I love mixed patterns and velvets and kitsch. I love fucking kitsch so much. I realized when I just recently had collected, I I, I love going to like yard sales and thrift stores and picking out like little weird tchotchkes. And Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that I had so much shame about it, but I had picked out like, oh my God, the most amazing set of like very strange little Bambi porcelain figurines that I was like, oh my God, I'm going to make us, it's going to be good. (laughs) And my mom was like, you've always picked out such weird things. And I was like, oh, I have shame around it. Right. Of course. This makes Mm -hmm. sense too. So I was immediately drawn to your work on Instagram, I think because your aesthetic sensibility is feels so soothing to mine because you also Thank have you. like leopard print and animals, lots of different colors. And and some of them are like in your face and then it's contrasting with something that is like much more subdued. And I, I love all of the details of that. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, I I started out making mixed media digital collages as like a way to uh, relieve stress when I got out of work. I would just kind of sit down and, you know, on my walks home, I would take pictures and somehow incorporate those into my collages. Or I had some vintage Playboy magazines that I would use images from and incorporate those with like my pictures from my walks or fashion magazines, different things like that. But really, it was just a way for me to decompress from working in such a stressful environment. And also, so, so much stress, but then the result is this like simple, minimal, clean. So that's kind of also a weird dissonance. Yeah. One of my friends, Sarah, she told me that my collages look like spells sometimes. And it's funny because sometimes I would make them during like a full moon or a new moon and incorporate some of the themes from that lunar phase into my work so if it was like in scorpio i would like bring in a scorpion in there and fire and water and like plutonian influences or you know i astrology definitely i get inspiration from um in witchcraft magic in general um but yeah hopefully they come across as spells (laughs) so i assume that you're not working at that job anymore no, I'm not. This year, 2020, brought a lot of changes for me on a personal level. And I've had to find inspiration in different ways, as I'm sure all of us have, because our lives have changed. But I'm still very much influenced by fashion, just in a in a different sense now, more on a personal level, rather than seeing it like out in the streets when I'm walking around uh, different designer houses and things. Music, too when I would go out dancing to there's a great like funk and soul club by my studio that I would go to and just seeing like all the people in the neighborhood dressed up 70s clothes would be like good inspiration for me too are you a, are you an echo park I was yeah I was an echo park I think I know the or, place that you're talking about okay yeah. <laughs> yeah it was a regular there um yeah I was there for about eight years so that was like my my hood Cool. I lived in L.A. for three years before coming back here to New York. And one of the reasons I think I loved L.A. when I first went is because there's so much weird maximalism. And I became obsessed with some of like the weird old Hollywood aesthetics. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. as a place, I realized that I can't 
<laughs> Los Angeles is so interesting. Like it is kind of a set. And I think I was drawn to it as a set. And I was drawn to those Dantanas and like all of those weird old velvet booth spots from like mm -hmm. the 40s and 50s. And then was like, OK, cool, what's next? And then for me personally, there was nothing. <laughs> so it was like, yeah. oh, OK. Yeah, we know when it's time to move on for sure. I definitely have always found inspiration in my roots, which uh, I am black and Mexican. So for me, living in L.A., there is a pretty strong influence of both cultures. Um, and you could see it in my art, too. I was born Catholic. So that's kind of like a different, you know, uh, origins for where I'm at now. But I was born Catholic and baptized Catholic. Um, so I definitely like am drawn to a lot of Catholic imagery. But then I was converted into Christian Baptist. And then later on. I was baptized again. And then later on, um, when I turned 18, I kind of went off on my own path. And I was I learned more about like occult practices and things since I was like 18. And kind of haven't looked back since then. But I've learned to integrate a lot of the different religions and practices um, and kind of into my own eclectic spiritual um, system. So how does your spirituality inform your art and your practice and how it, with these collages functioning as spells and then also with making work that is um, distinctly not spells that is also rituals how do you differentiate these different extensions of your creativity yeah I always start with an intention before I even dive in uh, because I and like a mixed media artist, sometimes I'm using photographs, magazine cutouts, or digital images. So I have to really start with like a vision of what I want to create. And usually it comes from a theme or a feeling or a topic that I'm interested in at that time. And part of my stress relief from having working in fashion was uh, really having independent studies. So an example would be a piece I did. It was a self-portrait of me in the underworld. And I was studying about the Egyptian experience and views of the underworld and what, what that looked like to them. Ancient Egypt. I geek for mythology. Same. <laughs> so I was studying about like Wayne of the heart and, you know, the journey that one must take when they die. And death is metaphorical, right? <laughs> oh, it can be. So I was looking at it that mostly way. metaphorical. Yeah, I was like, I was going through a, a period of of endings. So death for me was like a reoccurring theme. So I suppose that's why I was studying death and the underworld and with Egyptian mythology at that time. I love the ancient Egyptians. I am fascinated by them. I as a kid would only wanted to go. I grew up in New York and I only wanted to go to the Met and go to the Egyptian wing so I could be near the that like pyramid spot. And I would just I felt, you know, and this is so eighth house, I would study, I'd stare at like the hieroglyphics and I was convinced that I was going to like, you know, find decode something. I was obsessed with like mm -hmm. decoding. I bought so many books on hieroglyphics as a kid. I had an ankh 
that I wore when I was eight, which I have, I I still have, and I I have worn it when I was a kid. I wore it in like all of my school pictures. So I have this onk from a very eighth house shit from when I was like a tiny little kid. It's like, this means life and death. Like (laughs) one day I will die and be immortalized just like the (laughs) ancient Egyptians. Totally normal. Totally normal behavior. (laughs) But I think that one of the cool things about the ancient Egyptians is how is the role of death and the role that death played and how right they were, um, because it is ultimately an ancient culture that we know so much about and why do we know so much about it is because of them prioritizing death in so many ways you know all of the tombs and sarcophaguses and so much of the literature and the the way that the culture was structured was with the emphasis on the soul exiting and creating vessels for that and rituals and practices surrounding it And here we are thousands of years later, and we still know very much about this culture and are, are, you know, learning wisdoms from it, uncovering things, as it were. But I think that that's because they got it so right. I mean, their intention was, you know, life is very short and death is very long. So that's where we want to put the energy. And that's point well taken, you know, (laughs) received. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely deal with death a lot in the in the themes of my work i would say you can see underworld themes quite heavily void moon um dark moon that sort of energy i tend to gravitate towards when i'm creating a piece i feel like that's when my magic is strongest too uh when i do ritual uh is usually during the dark moon not to knock on the sun or anything but I definitely uh, am drawn more to, uh, I guess you would say, the yang aspects of life. But I think this year I started working more with like solar energy, tapping in more into like I was tanning every day and getting like an hour of sun, which is way different than what I was used to. I feel like I'm a much more lunar person, especially like dark moon kind of person. Yeah, I'm influenced by my religious upbringing but i'm also influenced about my interest in mythology and and the occult probably the most and somehow i infuse fashion in into it as well <laughs> i'm not sure how but i do <laughs> so it's interesting also to think about one of the ways that i like to interpret a birth chart is i like to see why is the sun shining where it is you know And as a son in the eighth house person, and this is applicable to both of us, even if even though we're we're on either sides of the zodiac, it's like the eighth house is the area of death and transformation. And it's where we descend into the underworld. It's our Hades portal. Um, But we're shining in it. Right. It's the solar energy in that spot. So we have to shine light into those into the darkness, but that doesn't mean that we turn off our own light. And that's Mm -hmm. something that I, this is also like, you know, obviously there's a lot of metaphors of like mental health and depression and those types of concepts within this. I think when I was younger, it was so hard for me to figure out how do I, I, how can I be so close to death and, you know, really feel so connected to it 
and still be so alive because I'm also mm-hmm. so alive and I loved life, you know, and I, I really, I, I adore the sun and I adore like being, I'm so grateful for my consciousness in this portal. And it, it's taken me, I've, I could only really understand that and start to integrate it in my adulthood. It was not something that I understood and, and really, I struggled with it for so many years of like being a sort of a, a spooky bitch, if you will, but then also wanting to like shine and feel connected to being alive. And I feel like the one of the ways that I found you was through this beautiful content that you created. And it's the protection for Black people ritual and the corresponding imagery associated with that. And so much of that is also about being alive, you know, and wanting to keep people alive and wanting to make sure that peoples are supported and protected in this moment in time and not just memorialized and turned into a a pyramid, you know, that's because that's not here right now. We need to be alive because we are. So I would love to hear more about that project and what it means and and just understand sort of your process in creating it because it was it's so beautiful and so effective. And I think as a white person um, interacting with that content you created, it gave me such a, a beautiful and powerful perspective. Thank you. Thank you for participating in it, too. It was really a blessing to see people in Canada and like all over the world participating in that ritual, especially in the times that we're in now where we can use all the help we can get as Black people. But that that ritual came about from a very, um, from a friend, really. I had a friend who was my neighbor and she lost her job in the pandemic and basically was intimidated out of her home by her roommates who were two white men, white cis men. I was there to help her through it because she had to move. It was a really traumatic experiment ex- experience for her. So the best way that I could support her without really putting myself in danger was through witchcraft. So uh, I created that spell for her. Um, not just for her, but for everyone that needed it. And one of the main parts in the spell was the eggshell uh, component. And she she's actually the one that came up with that idea, um, which was to crush the eggshells and use them as protection. Because eggshells, that's what they do. They protect the embryos. So instead of using salt for the spell, for the ritual, as a protection barrier, we use eggshells. Um, and that was totally her idea. So, yeah, that was like my way of doing what I could to keep her safe as she, trans- you know, transitioned and moved to get out of that dangerous situation. But yeah, it was, that's, that ritual took a lot, it took a lot of energy to create. <laughs> it was like over the course of like a week. For me to make that i brought out all of what i knew to make it and called on my ancestors to help me and it was probably the most thorough ritual i've ever created i would say and it was also the first one that i put out there because typically i was i would do them like i'd host moon circles and you know share them with a coven but i wouldn't really put them out there for the public 
to do. So I think it served its its purpose. I think it's still serving its purpose. People are still participating in it. Uh, so it makes me feel like I'm contributing to a good cause. So in hosting it, in moving it from the private sphere into the public sphere, was that part of the ritual itself? Yes, it was. That was part of it, I would say, for me, um, letting it, putting it out there so that it could spread and go where it needed to go rather than me, like, you know, having some element of control with it. It was more of just like, okay, I've created it. Now it's time to let it go where it needs to go. Which then brings us to another interesting topic, which is this idea of inspiration versus imitation versus plagiarism and all of the uh, the complicated thresholds there. I, I would say that the iconography of the content that you created was so, I guess, backtracking for a moment, one of the things that I make a point to try to do as much as I can is trace things that I find on the internet to their original creator. So if I see someone post something, instead of just reposting from their from them reposting, I try to go to the, you know, even if it means that I have to like use my thumbs to type in a name, like I'll try to find the original creator. Hopefully there's a water stamp on it where I can trace it back because I want to know, one, I want to support that creator. And then two, I want to um, have some context <laughs> because sometimes yeah. someone will share something and it'll be like a great sentiment and then you'll find your way over to the page and you're like, oh, no, definitely not in line with every, anything else that this person is creating. And they happen to have one aesthetically cool thing or one aesthetically cohesive moment where I saw it and was thought it was interesting. But then the rest of it is like QAnon and I'm out. So <laughs> so yeah. I, I really make and I would encourage listeners to try to maybe do that same practice as well is to trace things back to the creator as much as possible. Um, and I think that actually is specifically how I found your page. I think that your page was shared and shared and shared. And it took me a minute to find you from it. And when I did, mm. I was glad to have because I was like, OK, cool. It's not, you know, every, it, it all makes sense. It, you're not like just creating this shit and like not living it like, you know, this is cohesive to your life as, as far as I could see. I mean, who knows? I could have scheduled you and you could have been like a 12 year old Russian boy in Kiev and I <laughs> would have been found it out the hard way. But suffice it to say for for as much as due diligence as I could possibly do, it seemed like, OK, this is being created by someone who is doing it authentically, someone who is doing it with the intentionality of of really being able to speak to their community to help others protect their community and i i suppose this is a long-winded way of saying that it's very easy for someone to take something and to wipe the hashtag or wipe the watermark and then repurpose it and make it their own and in our pre-podcast chat we were talking about inspiration and plagiarism and i would love to know what your experience has been with that yeah thank you i feel like with the protection ritual i didn't experience uh, that i know of anybody using my work 
and monetizing off of it or anything like that because I pretty much had my name all over it. So I'm glad you were able to link it back to me and see that it is my work and it clearly is my work. But I definitely have had other pieces that I've seen, I mean, like ripped off pretty much on other accounts, pages, just people who aren't mixed media artists to begin with and then decide that they are going to begin to experiment in the realm of like visual arts. I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. Good for you. I encourage everyone to explore and experiment, but then like do a piece that looks very similar to a self-portrait that I just did. Um, like similar sim symbolism, colors, uh, everything. I wasn't too happy about that, especially because they had like a larger platform than I did. So I know that their work had more visibility than the piece that I did, uh, which it's not about likes or anything, but I would like to think that the original work gets the credit, you know, for, for what it's worth. So I have experienced that in the past and I've seen, I've, have seen other friends experience similar situations and I don't really know how to prevent it because you know one could say it's inspiration but I I personally think like if it's outside of their realm of what they're typically creating then that's more of just copying but yeah I would hope people would have more integrity sometimes yeah uh I totally support that as a, so mote it be. I would hope people have more integrity too. You know, I think that there are people who are very intentional, very, very, you know, malefically intentional with, I see that this is successful on a micro scale. So let me now exploit it and use it as my own and, you know, do this on a macro scale with a bigger audience. I think that that's very real. And then I also think that there's real that there's people who don't even realize that they're doing it. People who are really heavily influenced by things and who don't necessarily have who use other people's the inspiration that they get from other external sources to sort of inform their identity and their personality and their creation and don't even think twice about sort of integrating those things into their own either aesthetic language or just personality and, and character. It's not even something that's a conscious decision because it's like that's how they process the world. And with those people, I don't know. I, I mean, there's not really it's it, it's a conundrum because with the people who do it sort of with bad intention, the classic examples, of course, are like the big multi-billion dollar companies louis vuitton moe hennessy whatever like yeah. <laughs> lmd yeah. blah, blah, blah. like taking artists work and then making it their brand and they have all of the money and the marketing and the resources behind it but then there's weird impressionable people who don't even aren't even thinking like oh my god did i just literally say the exact same thing that i'd heard someone else say <laughs> and and those are almost like the ones where I'm not sure how to approach it because I think that that's an identity issue for them, you know? Yeah, it's hard for me to even put myself in that position because I don't, I mean, I don't try to be unique or anything, but I just 
kind of am the way I am. I don't really look to other people to kind of tell me otherwise or to tell me what I need to create. I mean, there are a couple accounts on Instagram that I follow that are, you know, artists that I'm, I really admire, but my work doesn't look like their work. You know, like we have, we have differences. I'm, I'm inspired by them, but my work doesn't look like theirs. You know, I think it's important to protect our process too. Like I've had people reach out to me and be like, how do you do this? How do you mix this together? How do you do that? And I kind of just don't tell them sometimes, you know, because it's my process. And, oh yeah. Fuck. Yeah. You, I mean, that's, you know, that's your recipe. <laughs> I don't really need to, to give in, give all the deets about it. Totally. Yeah. I, I protect it sometimes, but I'm happy to share like programs and things that I use. Uh, you can just kind of, they can figure it out on their own, but I don't make things for content. I make things because it becomes, because it comes from my heart, you know? So, um, I'm not really in the game of like competition or anything like that, but it does bother me when I do see people rip off my pieces sometimes. Yeah. I I mean, it's, it's also complicated, (laughs) you know, like social media is, is not the world, but it is at the same time. I think that this was really has become, especially in 2020 and like with having it become sort of the all-encompassing way that we're receiving so much information and we're connecting to people and, you know, trying to stay informed. Um, It's, it has so, we put so much emphasis on this as the place that we go to socialize, the place that we go to be activists, the place that we go to create, the place that we go for validation. It's a lot, it's, it's too much pressure on these platforms. And it wasn't, always like that. Now, you and I were both born in the 80s. So Mm -hmm. that means that we remember a time when things were when you could create independently from likes. And (laughs) I think that that meant the work was different. You know, creating Mm -hmm. had different intention. When we create just with the intention of like, virality, of course, that's going to change the work and that's not to qualify it as better or worse it's just different but it's different and I do think that I'm so grateful to have been born in the 80s I'm so grateful to remember a time before social media was like it is today I empathize with the younger generation in in having these their phones become their entire universes like that's that's a lot of pressure in very small spaces Back in the old days, (laughs) you could sort of diversify where you put your energy and you could have Mm -hmm. multiple projects going simultaneously, private ones and public ones. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot more space for process, I think, in general. Now it's so much of like churn, 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 put it out, put it out, put it out. And I talked to these younger uh, people who run astrology accounts who are not astrologers and they're very ethical and saying, I'm not an astrologer, but I run an astrology account. And it's like, okay, how did we get here? You know, <laughs> what does it mean? Yeah, I, I think credibility is something that I struggle with as an artist because I didn't go to art school. 
like I'm not like classically trained anything you know I literally am like as punk as it gets when it comes to making my art like I'm not a photoshop expert whatsoever when people ask me like oh I want to learn photoshop and teach me that are you going to teach any classes or this and that I'm like you don't want to know my process it's not <laughs> photoshop <laughs> like I don't know how I get it to look the way it does but it's not being an expert at Photoshop. <laughs> right. It's not like a YouTube, like you can't YouTube tutorial it. No, not at all. You know, credibility for me when people are like, what what makes you an artist? I think it's more just like being able to create something that has meaning and is inspiring. Really, that's all that matters to me. And, you know, if somebody wants to call themselves an artist, that's fine. I'm not going to judge them, but uh, I will judge their art. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also think that there's a difference now between artist and creator, which is so interesting. Mm. What, a, what a fascinating nuance. But creators and content creators have a, I mean, I guess they also load everything they make with intention, but the intention is not the heart. Mm hmm. You know, that makes sense. It, it just couldn't it couldn't be the heart because that's not where virality comes from. No, it's it's hard. I mean, I don't take commissions like this year. I haven't taken any commissions. And last year I had to take a break and I don't really make money like commercially off of what I create. So I think that's why I don't call myself a creator and I call myself an artist because I'm not really in the, the service of making money off of what I make right now. <laughs> not that artists can't make money because I encourage artists to make money off of their work. But um, I'm not, my livelihood is not like directly related to like having to crank out work all the time, which I'm really thankful to be in that position because I can just make art when I feel inspired. I don't have to have like, I don't have any deadlines or anything like that right now, which is a blessing. Yes, I think that it does really change and it, it, it does go back to integrity, I think. And it's really hard to maintain integrity when you are then also negotiating money and deadlines. And I think that this applies to, you know, I, I, I struggle with this. My work as an astrologer is like at a certain point, you know, when does the horoscope become something that, you know, where is the line between like me really being able to connect with this, with what I'm writing and, and what I'm generating and then the speed of which I'm supposed to be doing it, you know, writing daily horoscopes, I said I would never do again. And then this year I found myself doing it again and I'm not doing it again anymore because would be closed down. So that is done. But I'm also in the absence of writing it. I'm like, oh, my God, this is why I said I was never going to do it again is because it's I'm writing. Everything is it's not an algorithm. It's really coming from my brain and it's really coming from my fingertips. But it's and it's really coming from my interpretation. But it's also really too much to create all the time. You know, you you lose the you you move into a different, I don't know, almost, it, it, you're not emotionally tapped in, you know, it, you're, 
you're just churning and you're machining and like that's so it's it's so not the way to make art (laughs) you know it's incredibly difficult to have that much pressure to create all the time when you're just one person you know you see fashion and they have designers have houses behind them you know and they have all these people creating season after season after season back to back to back and that takes like a village being one person like i can't even i can't imagine writing a horoscope every day (laughs) like that that's that's a lot of pressure. It is. And to eat, make each one unique and to come up with new ideas for things and new something that's fun and catchy. And but it's also every single one has to be true. You know, that's my integrity. Like, I'm not going to just make shit up. I have to be also interpreting. But at that rate of interpretation, something's got to give. And for me, I think that it's the soul. <laughs> it's if the soul goes out, you know, and the soul is what animates astrology to me and it's what animates magic and it's what animates any sort of esoteric spiritual practice is you have to have your soul so when you void the soul you get a lot of astrology and you get a lot of accurate astrology but there is something missing you know Mm -hmm. and I think that when Quibi closed I was right on the edge of 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 myself closing so you know the universe protects people who are honest it does. It really does. That's here protecting me by giving me a retreat. I really needed a retreat. And that has only brought me more peace and inspiration, which I know will serve like future works. Absolutely. I think that, I mean, none of us are leaving 2020 the same way we came in. And I think that there's a lot of, I, I think that that's a very potent thing to think about on a micro and macro scale is that like we're all different you know we all have to be different we we can't not be have been affected in some way shape or form the way that we might be affected might vary from person to person some might be more directly affected some might have gone off the fucking deep end into problemville but everybody is different so knowing that everyone is different means maybe different relationships different jobs different ways we spend our time different prioritizations And we have to, I think, really welcome that in the new year going into it because we like to divide things into Gregorian calendar years. But so if we're going to do that, we might as well take it as an advantage of being like, okay, well, there was a before and an after. And this Mm -hmm. is coming into the after. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, so mote it be that all of the bullshit gets exposed. (laughs) Yes, I agree with that. It's time. I mean, transparency. Everything, everything is visible now. Like the veil has been lifted. Like you can just see people now. Yeah, it's uh, it's important too to have boundaries during this time. I'm learning, um, just having really strong boundaries with all the changes and honoring personal changes and personal growth and having to change boundaries, you know, and update them. I think that's been important for me this year and probably moving into next year. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that like boundaries are everything is contractual, you know, like everything is an agreement and there has to be reciprocity. There has to be an exchange of some kind to be in an exchange isn't like inherently a corrupt thing. You know, like we're in exchange of a relationship. You're in exchange of relationship with your most intimate partners, you know, there and the terms have to be agreeable. And sometimes the terms are no, it's like you outgrow them and you're like, we got to amend that contract. Those boundaries that I 
worked for me for those years are no longer applicable. Like, could we adjust? And if they say no, then that is a fucked up contract. You know what kind of you are in partnership with someone who you need to cut, cut, cut. Yeah, this has been so lovely. It's so wonderful to connect with you. Where can we find you and continue to uh, enjoy your beautiful work? Yeah, thank you for having me. I had a great time. You can uh, find me on Instagram at Bad Mama Jamma. Um, I'll just be sharing a little bit of details about my daily life and posting any new work. Um, I'm pretty much taking a vacation this year, so I don't have any major projects or anything coming up. But yeah, you can go ahead and follow me there. We can't wait to see you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.